This podcast was recorded live at Life Church Lancashire. For more information on who we are and what we do, visit lifelanks.org. Exciting, isn't it? What an exciting community to be a part of. And uh, why don't you just turn to the person next to you saying, you're looking great. Because I'm looking out thinking, what a great looking community we are. And that's all wave to everyone at home. Wave to everyone watching at home. Great to have you with us. Wonderful. Well, we are continuing uh, our series, Jesus People. And uh, this is from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. Brandy started this a few weeks ago when we talked about the church being born in power. Uh, That was a few weeks ago, and uh, we're going through Acts 2, 41 uh, to 47, thinking about the early church, full of the Spirit, growing and diverse, as we celebrated International Sunday last week. And this is the story that we're a part of, and I don't know what you think of this idea of the church growing. In, In the West, the church is in decline, but actually recently I've been engaging in some Uh, Some work where they're saying, well, as the tide goes out, the tide also comes back in. And uh, I'm certainly somebody that's believing that as the tide has gone out of the church in Western Europe, in in the West, that actually the tide might be turning. The tide might be about to come, come back in. And as the church isn't growing in the global north, the church is growing, expanding rapidly in the global south. And now Africa is the continent with the most Christians in on the planet, which is exciting. In the year 1900, there were 9 million Christians in Africa. This year, right now, there are 685 million Christians in Africa. And they predict that will rise. Yes. They predict that number will rise to 760 million in the next few years. You know, so we, uh, we thank the church in Africa for your faith, for your fire, and for the flavor. And the Africans in our church, we thank you as well for being a part of our community. We're, um, this church, this church in the book of Acts, it's a distinct community. That's what we see as we, as we look into the book of Acts. Each, each verse, each week as we're unpacking uh, the Acts 2 church, we see this is a distinct community. And the call to be Jesus followers, to kind of bring a new way of living to the world around them. So this morning, we're going to think about the church and justice. We're going to be thinking about the the idea of the church being a community that's passionate about justice. Our longing for justice is another apologetic. It's another reason for our faith. It's another thing that points to the existence of God. Within everybody, whatever your background is, whatever people's faith is, there's a longing for justice. There's a realization that things are not the way they're meant to be. And this longing for justice, this desire for justice is the heart of God. It shows us whether people hate God or not, that longing for justice shows them that something's not right and something needs to be done about it. As the great Martin Luther King Jr. said, the arc of the moral universe is bending towards justice. I love that idea. This sense of evil may be looking like it's winning the day. And maybe right now, maybe in your life or maybe in the world around you, it appears that evil is on the march. But Martin Luther King Jr. had this conviction that says, the arc of the universe is bending towards justice. Justice demands change. Justice demands that things aren't the way they're meant to be, but they can be different. 
And the biblical tradition is to speak truth to power. That's the biblical tradition. The role of the prophets in the Bible wasn't just to predict the future. The role of the prophets in the Bible was to speak truth to power, was to speak truth to their culture. So here's what the Bible says. Jeremiah 22, verse 3. This is what the Lord says. Do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor, the one who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, to the fatherless or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. Jeremiah 22, verse 3. The message version says this. This is God's message. Attend to matters of justice. Set things right between people. Rescue victims from their exploiters. Don't take advantage of the homeless, the orphans, the widows. Stop the murdering. Oh, that feels quite strong, doesn't it? That feels quite a powerful message for this time. Psalms 146 verse 7 to 9. Another scripture on justice. The Bible says this. He, as in God, upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. And he frustrates the way of the wicked. One more scripture. There's going to be lots of scripture this morning. But one more scripture to give us a basis for this idea of justice. And God's heart for justice. This is from the New Testament. Galatians 2 verse 9 to 10. I love this scripture. It says this. James, Peter, and John. So for those who don't know, James, Peter, and John, three of the disciples, three of the early church leaders. James, Peter, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me, so this is Paul, the Apostle Paul writing, gave me, Paul, and Barnabas, we're going to talk about Barnabas later, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised, which is the Jews. Verse 10. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I'd been eager to do all along. As in, James, Peter, and John, they have this conviction that Jesus is Lord, and this gospel message needs to be heard by all people. So they're proclaiming this gospel message to the Jews. Paul was a Christian killer. Now he's a Christian and he believes God's asked him to bring this message to the non-Jews, the Gentiles. And these three guys have said, yes, we recognize God's call is on your life to preach the gospel, to proclaim freedom, to, to preach about the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. But, but when you do this, don't forget the poor. Don't forget the poor. These are not two opposing ideas. Proclaiming Jesus is Lord and being passionate about justice are not two separate ideas. They're not two uh, independent ideas. It's the same thing. And James, Peter, and John are saying, remember, when you go about preaching, when you go about proclaiming the good news of Jesus, don't forget justice. Don't forget the poor. This is what biblical scholar N.T. Wright says about the Apostle Paul. For Paul, righteousness and justice are the same word as they were in Hebrew. Paul clearly believes that helping the poor is central and ongoing part of our Christian commitment. Precisely because Jesus in Christ, 
Jesus, sorry, precisely because in Jesus, Christ God has unveiled and launched his plan for the rescue, redemption, and renewal of the whole creation. That's good, isn't it? Justification and justice go very closely together. So I want to say to us this morning that Jesus' people, that's us. So these are the people that we read about in the book of Acts, Acts 2, the church, the early church. But that's also you and me. We get to be invited into this community, the way, Christians, the church, Jesus' people engage in issues of justice with radical generosity. That's what we do. Any, any amen from that? Is that, is that, is that? Are you into this? Jesus' people engage in issues of justice with radical generosity. So this is going to be our key verse from the book of Acts. Acts 2, 41 to 47 is what we've been looking at the past few weeks and the next few weeks. Acts 2, we've already learned that the church was born in power, that the church was growing, that every day the, the church was growing, and that's still true today. That the church were devoted to prayer and communion as te- and teaching, as Jeff has articulated already. That the early church was devoted to unity and community and filled with signs and wonders. And all these ideas we're going to explore these next few weeks. But then verse 45 says this, Acts 2 verse 45. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So this church that was passionate about gathered worship, this church that was passionate about prayer, this church that was passionate about lifting up the name of Jesus, this this church that believed in healing and signs and wonders, they also believed in justice. They also believed in helping the poor. They also believed in serving their community. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now, I mentioned this guy's name earlier, Barnabas. Barnabas is one of the, I think, one of the unsung heroes of the New Testament. You know, he's not someone that we think of the great apostle Paul who led the early church and wrote half the New Testament. We think of the 12 disciples. But Barnabas is one of the key characters in the New Testament. So we're going to read a bit of Barnabas' story. And as you'll see when we read Barnabas' story, it lines up almost identically with what we just read in Acts 2. So this is Acts chapter 4, verse 32. It says this, All the believers were in one heart and mind. Very similar to Acts 2. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerful at work in them all. Watch this. So they testify to the resurrection. They believe in the gospel. They proclaim that Jesus is Lord. Jesus died and rose again from the dead. And they proclaim this with great power. But then verse 34, because of this power, because of this authority, there were no needy persons amongst them. What does that mean? They ended poverty in their community. The early church ended poverty in their community. That's, that's the only way I can interpret that scripture. There were no needy persons amongst them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Barnabas, the Jesus people, engage in issues of justice with radical generosity. Barnabas is part of this movement. 
And Barnabas recognizes, you know, I've got some land. I've got some assets. I've got some property. And I see need in my community. And so I'm going to meet that need. I'm going to, I recognize I don't own this land. It's, it's a gift. It's, I, I do own it. But ultimately, it's God's. So I'm going to sell this property. And the proceeds of this property are going to meet needs in my community. I think we can call that radical generosity. Jesus' people engage in issues of justice with radical generosity. I want to take a side note because I love Barnabas so much that I don't think we can talk about Barnabas without talking a little bit about the power of encouragement. Then we'll get back into justice, if that's okay. So Jesus' people engage in issues of justice with radical generosity. But Jesus' people are also sons and daughters of encouragement. Barnabas, I love this. Barnabas, his name is Joseph. His parents named him Joseph. Growing up, everyone called him Joseph, but church history remembers him by his nickname, you know, by his reputation. I don't know what your nickname is. I don't know what your reputation is, you know, but I don't know how we'll all be remembered. But Barnabas is remembered as a person of encouragement. I mentioned Paul a few minutes ago. Paul wrote half the New Testament. Paul was the great apostle to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews, to the Europeans. That's who Paul reached out to. Paul was this great hero of the faith. But when Paul became a Christian, people doubted his salvation. People weren't sure that God's call was on his life. And it was Barnabas. Barnabas was the one to say, I believe God's call is on his life. It was Barnabas that took Paul on his first missionary trip. It was Barnabas that discipled Paul, equipped Paul. Barnabas, this son of encouragement. I remember when I was uh, 17 years old, my Barnabas, my youth leader, a guy called Justin, he was my Barnabas. He was someone that encouraged me and spoke life into me. And, you know, encouragement isn't flattery. Encouragement isn't being nice. Encouragement is speaking courage. It's putting courage into someone else. That's what Barnabas did for Paul. That's what Justin did for me. At 17 years old, he paid for a group of us to go to America for a week for this uh, youth kind of conference to get fired up and inspired. And I remember one of the speakers at this conference, the youth pastor of this church, said, whenever a young person walks away from my presence, I want them to feel bigger. I want them to feel stronger. And at 17 years old, when I had no position, no responsibility, no authority, no nothing, just a kid from Hayward, I remember thinking, I want, I want to be that kind of person. I want to be the kind of person when people walk away from me, they feel bigger, they feel stronger, they feel like they can take on the world, they feel like they can do the thing that God's asked them to do. That's what people of encouragement do. Uh, J.R. Tolkien uh, and C.S. Lewis, you might have heard of these two, uh, people from uh, literary history. Tolkien wrote The Lord of the Rings, C.S. Lewis, amongst other things, The Hobbit. C.S. Lewis wrote The Chronicles of Narnia and many other uh, great works and really led C.S. Lewis really led the UK out of the trauma of World War II and tried to help people understand God out of World War II. These two were friends, contemporaries, and they met regularly in a pub in Oxford with their book club, essentially, their literary club, where they would compare ideas, compare notes. You know, here's, here's an idea I'm working on. Uh, what do you think of this idea? This is what Tolkien says about C.S. Lewis. The unpayable debt that I owe him was not influence as it is ordinarily understood, but sheer encouragement. He was for long my only audience. Only from him did I ever get the idea that my stuff could be more than a private hobby. Can you imagine that? Once upon a time, J.R. Tolkien, who went on to write The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, which has shaped 
um, shaped so much of our culture. These were two of the most important literary figures in the 20th century. Once upon a time, for Tolkien, it was his private hobby. Once upon a time, it was just an idea, just an idea that he had. And C.S. Lewis says to him, I think you should get this published. I think you should get this on paper. I think you should share this with the world around you. Imagine, imagine that encouragement had never come. Imagine Barnabas had never spoken up for Paul. What about you? I, I am completely convinced that within this community, there is genius. There is innovation. There is a song to be written. There's a book to be written. There's a business to be created. There's a, an idea, a genius idea to unlock something in the world of education or healthcare. And it's within this community. And all it might take is someone walking across the room and speaking encouragement, someone journeying with someone else, putting an arm around someone else for a period of time saying, I think there's something in you. I think there's genius within you. I think that idea, that, that can't be private. That can't be your personal hobby. Your stuff needs to get out there. Never underestimate the power of encouragement. Right, back to justice. Are we okay? Jesus people speak for those who can't speak for themselves. That's what Jesus people do. Jesus people speak for people who can't speak for themselves. There's this idea in a biblical, um, biblical language in, in the Hebrew, in the Bible, uh, called mishpat. And mishpat means to advocate for the vulnerable. That's what people, uh, people of justice do. The Jesus people, we speak for those who can't speak for themselves. People who may be powerless, vulnerable. And beyond just speaking up for those who are powerless and vulnerable, to even change social structures. That's what Jesus people do. Jesus people speak for those who can't speak for themselves. Proverbs 31, this is going to be on the screen. Proverbs 31 says this. Speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. That feels strong. Speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. Are there people in your community? Are there people in your sphere of influence? Maybe even people that you're thinking of right now, where you're like, their voice is quiet. Their voice is silent. They have been silenced. And someone needs to speak up on their behalf. Maybe you're that someone. Maybe you're the Jesus person who needs to speak up for those who can't speak up for themselves. A few weeks ago, um, uh, Shahid uh, spoke on this stage about uh, the attack on Christians in Pakistan. And Shahid's just come back from Pakistan. And next week, he's going to share a bit about his visit to the school and also the Christians, the persecuted Christians in Pakistan. You know, I, I love that this community spoke up for those who couldn't speak for themselves. Pakistani Christians that were attacked for their faith. And we appreciate Shahid uh, speaking up. And we appreciate Shahid. I know you didn't just go to Pakistan to visit them, but you went to visit these churches. And Shahid next week will talk about what he saw and what he witnessed. In your world, in your sphere of influence, where are the vulnerable? Where are those who have been silenced? Where are those who can't speak for themselves? Could you be a Jesus person that speaks up for those who can't speak up for themselves? Jesus people are good news people. That's who we are. Jesus people are good news people. On Alpha this week, we were talking about the, the issue of evil. How do I resist evil? And this scripture, Nicky Gumbel, he reads the scripture so well. Um, but this scripture, when he, when he read it, I just thought, yes, this speaks into what we're talking about. Romans 12, verse 21. Jesus people are good news people. Don't be overcome by evil. Wow. Have you, have you turned on the news recently? Have you spoken to other people recently? 
Can, can you get easily overwhelmed, overcome by evil? You know, overwhelmed by the suffering in the world around us. I know that's true for me sometimes. I watch the news for just a few moments and think, oh my goodness, there's so much need. There's so much pain. There's so much evil. And I love this scripture, Romans 12 verse 21. The Apostle Paul says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. None of us in this room can fix every problem in humanity. That's part of the point. That's why we call it a body. That's why, that's why it needs all of us. But each one of us in this community, in your day-to-day life, can overcome evil with good. Maybe there's some injustice in your community. Maybe there's some evil that seems to be having its way in your family. You can overcome evil with good. Be a good news person in your world. Jesus came to rescue you. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But he also came to recruit you. He also came to invite you to join his movement. As we read earlier from Tom Wright, this movement of renewal and redemption and reconciliation. That's who the Jesus people are. Jesus people work towards justice. That's what we do. Jesus people work towards justice. Micah 6 verse 8, a very famous scripture, says this. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly before your God. Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly before your God. You know, as we're talking about justice, your mind might go to global issues. I'd really encourage you, maybe justice for you starts at home. Are, are there some injustices in your family, some injustices on your street, in your community? You know, maybe it starts at home. Maybe there's some relational injustices. Maybe, to, maybe today justice looks like putting things right at home. Maybe that's the message for some of us today. Do I need to put some things right at home? Maybe for some of you, you recognize, actually, I think God's calling me to get involved in something across society, societal justice, you know, being involved in, um, in being a good news person for your community. Can we put things right in our community? And actually, for all of us, we can play our part in some global justice. Now, there are, there are issues right now that feel way too big for all of us individually. But collectively, you know, as a community, we can participate and engage in global issues of justice, putting things right in the world around us. You know, that, that's why this week as a church, we decided we want to work with Tearfund. Tearfund is a, a great uh, organization. They work globally. Uh, they're a Christian organization, and they work to support churches in the most vulnerable parts of the world. Tear Fund stands for the Evangelical Alliance Relief Fund. So this represents about a million Christians across the UK, and they seek to help um, people, uh, vulnerable people, the world over. So we're working with Tear Fund. We're sending money via Tear Fund to churches in Gaza and Israel. Now, sometimes we forget, don't we, there are Christians in Gaza and there are Christians in Israel. And so we're sending money via tear fund to churches in Gaza and Israel to support communities, not just for the Christians, it's to help the Christians support the vulnerable in their communities, those who are suffering in their communities. So we, we want to, we recognize actually the stuff, the stuff that we need to be involved in in our homes, the stuff that we need to be involved in in our streets and our communities. There's issues of injustice in our community, in our region in this Lancashire that we want to get involved in. But actually, God, could we, could we partner with you to affect change in other parts of the world? Jesus' people work towards justice. So my encouragement, my challenge for each one of us today is get involved in what God is doing. 
God is the God of justice. God demands justice. God is working towards justice. And Jesus came to rescue you, but he also came to recruit you. This week, you know, this week, could maybe even today, could you get involved in what God is doing in bringing justice to the world around you? But here's the last thing I want to talk about. And this might seem a strange thing to kind of finish with. But the last thing I want to talk about is the great injustice at the heart of the Christian message. At the heart of the Christian message, there is a great injustice. It's called the cross. The cross is an incredible injustice. Every time we share communion, we remember the cross. Jesus died for our sins. His blood was shed. His body was broken. And when we think about the cross, when we think about the cross, it is the great injustice of human history. Here's what happens on the cross. The perfect human being, without sin, took on the sin of the world. The perfect human being, tempted in every way, but without sin, The Bible says he was crushed for our iniquities. That's what the Bible says. The great injustice of the cross. Have you ever ever faced the cross, thought about the cross, and thought, this is wrong. The Son of God, the precious Lamb of God, without sin, perfect, and is nailed to the cross, bleeding and dying. Why? For humanity. For all of humanity. Here's what the Bible says from Isaiah 53. This is the picture of the cross. It's going to be on the screen, but you might want to close your eyes to, a, to imagine the cross, to think about the cross, the great injustice of what happened that day. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a shepherd before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And the Lord make his life an offering for sin. He will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and bear their iniquities. The great injustice of the cross becomes the great triumph of the cross. As love and grace and mercy are poured out, God goes beyond justice to grace. It goes beyond justice to mercy and to love. And for each one of us this day, 
I want to encourage us to get involved in matters of justice, 100%. But actually for each one of us today, I wanted us to see the injustice of the cross again and to receive the grace and mercy of Jesus. To know that the great injustice of the cross becomes the great triumph of the cross. For each one of us, that today, whatever sin we're carrying, whatever shame we're carrying, we don't get what we deserve. Here's the thing. If you're thinking, I don't deserve God's grace and mercy, you're right. If you're thinking, I don't deserve God's righteousness, we're right. This is the gospel. That Jesus gave his life for you and for me. And today we can receive, just like we receive communion, like it's the easiest thing in the world. Today we can receive God's grace and mercy, God's love and forgiveness. So if that's you this morning, if that's you this morning, if you want to receive God's God's grace and mercy, why don't you stand to your feet? If you're not able to stand, you can raise a hand. But if you want to receive that today, why don't you stand and even lift out a hand to say, I want to receive God's grace and mercy. Come on, you can stand with me. In fact, if you're not able to stand, you can lift a hand, that's awesome. But for those of us today who want to receive God's grace and mercy, we see the injustice of the cross, but today we receive the triumph of the cross. He was crushed for our iniquities. By his stripes, we are healed. If you found this podcast inspiring and helpful, then we'd love for you to get in touch via at LifeLanks on social media or our website, lifelanks.org. Life Church, impacting our neighbours, our nation, and the nations with the good news about Jesus.